doing this morning? Oh, such a beautiful, I'd want to say not winter day because it's more like fall out there than approaching winter and that sun is just gorgeous. Oh. Well, are you guys ready for the word this morning? You know, John, why don't you come on down here and I'm going to preach to you this morning. <laughs> come on a little closer. I want to get my hands on you this morning, John. You know, I was praying for you even before the service started today. And I just believe that God has some great blessings that he's wanting to reveal to you, John. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to sit here this morning right under the anointing. Yes, I don't know what your week's been, but he just wants you to know how much he loves you. You know, sometimes it's just a, God is just like, man, I love them. And it's not that he doesn't love you any other days, but you know there's days when you need to know it. You know, I was having a, uh, a fit, you know, a few, uh, about six weeks ago. I was complaining to God about some stuff. And uh, he stopped me and he said, hey, do you think that I stopped loving you? And when he asked that, you know, careful how you respond. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that. And, uh, and I was like, no, God, I know you've not. He's like, then know that I've taken care of it. And, you know, whenever we're in a moment where we want to have a pity party, just know he's still willing to take care of it. Amen? Well, let's jump right back into our series. We are on week number five of Preaching on the Heart. And it's such an awesome su subject. You know, the more that I, I study into this as we've been continuing to go, it's just like, God, we could go you know, a long time. And I think most topics of the Bible are like that. You know, the Bible is very simple. He didn't make it complicated for us. He made it very simple. He made it very easy to understand. And he says a lot about very little because little is all you need. You know, all you need to know is that he loves you and that he sent his grace. He sent Jesus to die for you so that whatever you need, he provided for you in Jesus. And so we've been talking about over the last four weeks of this, uh, of this topic that our heart is so important and the contents of our heart and what we allow to be in there, it shapes our responses and how we react to things. And uh, the way that we allow our hearts to be filled is through our words. And our words will shape the direction that we move in. And so that's what we were talking a lot about last week. And we're going to continue on in that direction. And, you know, I had a, had a certain way that I was wanting to go this morning. And then when I woke up, God completely rewrote my message. So I was in here trying to scramble to get my notes all together. But I believe we'll get across what it was that he wanted. And its words will shape the direction that we move in. And so if you want to know where you're going, listen to what you're saying. Do you have words that are filled with doubt and unbelief? Are you, do you have words that are filled with fear and, uh, uh, and uh, discouragement? Do you have words that are filled with confusion? That's what will be bred more and more in your life. And when we speak and align ourselves with God's words, you find God's results in your life. You know, you can't speak opposite of what he believes and expect to see his things manifest in our lives. Amen? And so we said last week that James, who's actually the brother of Jesus, most people don't know this. When they think of James, they think of James and John, the disciples, but James was one of the first disciples to actually get martyred. He, he, he was killed pretty early on, and the James that we see in the in New Testament is actually James, the half-brother of Jesus. And so you, you think of like the progression of his life. When we see the stories 
in, of Jesus' ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his brothers and sisters weren't there with him, cheering him on, right? We have this story of where Jesus is, is preaching and he's doing miracles and his family is outside the door saying, Jesus, can you stop that? And, and they said, well, your, your family, they want you. And he looks, he says, these are my brothers and my sisters, referring to his disciples. And so there was a, a lot of things that they didn't agree with that Jesus was doing and saying while he was on his earthly ministry. But I thank God that you may have missed it in the past. You can catch up and get it now. And so we see that in the life of James, that he gets on board after Jesus dies. And it says in James 3.3, it says that indeed... We put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. And I, I think this is interesting when you think about the example, you are the horse and you are the bit. <laughs> you are both parts of that story. If you want to turn your life, what bit are you chomping on? What direction are you turning yourself? He says in verse 4, he says, look also at ships. All they, though they are so large, they are driven by fierce winds, and they are turned about by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. You are the ship, and you are the pilot in this description. In verse 5, he says, Even so, the tongue is a little member, it boasts great things. And see how great a forest a little fire kindles. Meaning it only takes a little bit of a spark to burn the whole forest down. Now sometimes when we look at the, the harvest of our lives, we need to burn the forest down. You know, there's some things that we look back at what we've planted and what we've done and where our life has come to. It's very easy. Apply the word to it and burn those, that forest of doubt down. Burn that forest of unbelief down and plant a new forest. There's nothing wrong with a crop failure when it's not the crop you need. Amen? And Jesus also said that out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. And that a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. So basically what he says is what you put in will be what comes out. If you want new things coming out of your mouth and into your life, you need to put new things in. And what comes out will set the direction that you move towards. Which is why right towards the end last week, we told you some of David's words. In Psalm 141, he said, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Don't let me drift towards evil or take part in acts of wickedness. He understood where they came from. And so he said, Lord, let's just go ahead and lock it up. If I can't say good, let me say nothing at all. And sometimes we go through situations like that in our life where you want to say something and it's better, not, better, better for us that we just be like, I'm not going to say anything right here. I'm just going to shut my mouth because what's about to come out, I don't want that harvest in my life. And I believe we can all relate to that because we all also have the flip side of it where we've been in situations where we said something we shouldn't have and then we immediately regretted it and we did not like the harvest that it produced in our lives. We've seen relationships that have been destroyed that way. We've seen the good things in our lives robbed from us by letting ourselves say things that we should have just shut up. 
And so David could relate. And so that's great because David was a man who had a heart after God. And I desire that for myself. And we've said that what we consider will become sensitive to. And what we neglect will become hardened to. And we see this in our relationships. We see this in all the different areas of our lives. When we are removed from the situation for a, 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 a season of time, when you come back to it, it's kind of like, you know, you ever had something that you know that you needed to do, but you've been putting it off? And the longer you put it off, the harder it was to get to it? It's the same way with the things of God. When we, the longer we separate ourselves from the areas that we know he's called us to, it almost seems like it becomes a mountain in between us and those very things. And so this morning, I want us to go over to Hebrews chapter 3. You doing all right this morning? In Hebrews chapter 3, and in verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers... Of the heavenly calling. Just think about that for a second. Partakers of the heavenly calling. What does it mean to be a partaker? If I invited you over to my house for a nice meal, what would it mean for you to be a partaker of that meal? First you show up, you allow there to be food on your plate, and then you eat it. And so when it comes to the kingdom of God, we've been called to be partakers in not observers of. Oh, come on. Let that sink in for a second. You have not been called to be an observer of the things of God. You have been called to be a partaker of the things of God. You've not been called to observe other people get healed. You've been called to partake of his health in every area of your body. You have not been called to watch other people just be prosperous. You've been called to be a partaker of his divine provision. You don't have to be just an observer of someone else drawing on the wisdom of God. You've been called to be a partaker of the wisdom of God. It says that the, you have the mind of Christ, which means that you can think like him. You can have the same thoughts flowing through the little noodle between your head. He can impart his divine wisdom into your natural situation that we don't have to be limited by our natural knowledge, our natural understanding. He can give us thoughts and ways and ideas and inventions far above and beyond what we can do with our natural learning. Just think about it with his disciples. It said that they recognized that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they had been with Jesus. And it changed the way they thought, and it changed the way they acted, and it changed the results that they had. So we have been called to be a partaker of the heavenly calling. Go ahead and say it, I partake of the things that God has prepared for me. And it's a heavenly calling. He's not just prepared earthly things for you. He's wanting heaven to invade this earth in every area that you touch. And so he says, be a partaker of the heavenly calling and consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Consider who? Jesus. And what did we say? We said, the things that you consider, you soften yourself to. And the things that you neglect, you harden yourself to. So the writer of Hebrews here says, if, if you're going to consider something, consider Jesus. 
No matter what situation you find yourself in, let Jesus be your first consideration. Let him be your last consideration. Sometimes let him be your only consideration. It says, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And to consider means to fix one's eyes on or one's mind upon. And so sometimes, you know, what I've found is that some, it takes a little bit of work to keep my mind set on something, right? It's not always an easy process, but it's a rewarding process. You know, if you think back to your days when you were in school and you were having to study for a test, it wasn't always easy to read over the, the material, but it was rewarding when you got to the test. And so ahead of time, it's not always easy to keep ourselves fixed, but when you get into the test of life, it'll be rewarding that you've taken that time, you've given that consideration, you've let your eyes be fixed on God and your thoughts be conformed to his way. But he said, so consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession. You know, when we think about conf confession, unfortunately, we usually just think of it from the context of, you know, confessing our sins. You know, Father, forgive me. It's been so long since my last confession, and I've done yada, 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 yada. But that's not the confession that he's talking about here in this verse. The word that he uses for confession means whom we profess to be ours and what we profess. The confession that he's watching over is who do you say is yours? Are you, is he yours? Is he your beloved? What are the other things that you profess? He's watching over your words saying, what do you want me to get involved with? What do you want me to grab hold with you in? He's watching over what words you're tying yourself to. And it's interesting, the word that he uses here for confession comes from a great root word, and it means to say the same thing as another. To agree with or to concede. There are times that you should be agreeing with certain things, and then there's other times that you should be conceding, saying, I'm sorry, I give up my way of it, and I let you win, God. I bow out of this thing. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I'm going to bow out of that, and I'll come into agreement with you. And the agreement means to say the same thing as another. What is God saying about you? And what is God saying about your situation? Are you saying the same thing? Thing. Okay, I'll preach to myself for a second. Jordan, are you saying the same thing that God has said about this moment that you find yourself in? Have you brought yourself into agreement, or is there some concessions that need to be made? And so we all find ourselves in that position where we can either find ourselves in agreement with God or in opposition with God. And I know that one position is much better than the other. And we never set out intentionally to put ourselves into opposition with God. But if we've not been considering what he's said about us, it allows us to slip into what others have said about us or what we've thought about ourselves that might not actually be true. You ever found yourself in a situation where you said, I just don't know what I'm going to do, and it becomes your words Day in and day out, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I just, this situation has just taken over me, and I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know. I, I just, ah, man. And you find yourself, when you're talking with the people that you love and that you know, you're constantly saying, I just don't know what I'm going to do. But the thing is, you do know. 
Because the Holy Spirit knows all things. And it's his job to lead you and guide you into all truth. And to show you things to come. So as we've attached ourselves to the confession of that I don't know, we've separated ourselves from the reality that the Holy Spirit does. And he's speaking. He's leading. He's guiding. And that whatever situation you find yourself in, you know what to do. You know, that was a, a confession that was just, it was ingrained into me when I was in school in, uh, in Oklahoma. One of my great mentors, she was constantly, the first thing she would say every day is, you know him. You know the Holy Spirit. You know his voice. Another you will not follow. When he, his presence enters the room, you recognize it. When he speaks with his still small voice, you hear it. One of the worst things that you can say is, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do because that's the furthest thing from the truth. If you stop and you listen, you will know because he's always speaking. There's never a moment where he doesn't show up, but there's lots of moments where we don't. So then why don't we take a look at, at one of the great people of faith this morning. And let's look at Abraham and the reflection of his life that we see in Romans chapter 4. You want to do that this morning? In Romans chapter 4 and in verse 16, it says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all seeds. So that's a mouthful, but what he's basically saying is, the grace of God has appeared to all men, you access it by faith, and it is that way so that it's fair for everyone. Everyone accesses it the same way, by grace, through faith. No one has a greater ability to access the things of God than another. And you know, we have a way of building up like people that we esteem in the ministry or we've seen do great things, and we think that, well, God, they must have a stronger anointing or a calling than what I have. No, we all access the things of God the same way, by grace, through faith. And so he says, so that the promise might be sure to all seed, and not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us at all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, and in the presence of whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead. And what does God do? He calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And now we've just found one of the greatest problems that most Christians face. They're more willing to call things as they see them rather than as God sees them. But it tells us our daddy, our father God, he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And so when God looks at the situation, he doesn't take it at face value, he calls it as he wants it to be. And we see this in creation, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the earth was without form and without void, and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. Then God said, let there be light. It's interesting that he said, he created, and then it describes the situation. Formless, voidless, and the Holy Spirit was over the face of the dark. But God says God had already created. Because in his heart, 
And in the vision that he had, it was though it was already done. And so what was God's next step? He went ahead and spoke it into existence. Sometimes when you're believing God, you look at it and it's like, well, God, it doesn't look like that. What is the vision of your heart and God's vision for you saying about it? And which one have you aligned your confession with? And so Abraham described God as one who calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And I'm pretty sure Paul told us to imitate God. And it says, who contrary to hope, believe in hope believed. Speaking of Abraham, it says, when he should have stopped hoping. Look at the story for a second. Abraham's an old man, and Sarah is an old lady, and God has said, you're going to have a kid. There was no reason for Abraham to believe that was going to happen, because that's just not how biology works. After a certain point, you give up hope. And it says what Abraham did was contrary to hope, meaning you should have stopped, but he in hope believed instead so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now you think about this, he had some obstacles to overcome. One was himself, thinking this is just beyond the point where these type of things happen. And beyond that, he had an obstacle to get over, which was his wife, who when the messenger said, this time when I come back next year, you'll have a kid, what did she do? She laughed. She didn't say, oh God, I believe you. She laughed at the hysterical nature of that. This doesn't happen. Should I have a child in my old age? Is what she said. And the messenger called her out and said, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. And he said, you certainly did. And that's why Isaac's name means laughter. Because they turned the, what something which seemed so absurd that was not even a possibility of happening, they turned it into a reality by using, aligning their words with what God had said about them. Think about the story again for a second. Abraham's name was Abram. And God changed it to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Now think about this though. Just because God changed his name didn't mean that he needed to use it. Who had to put it into practice? Abraham. He had to go out there and when he meets people, hello, I'm Abraham. And when you say that, they knew what it meant. I'm the father of many nations. And they're like, oh, how many kids do you got? None yet. <laughs> yet. Pretty sure you're the old man here in the situation. No, he chose to align his confession with what God had said. He could have kept calling himself Abram. I'm Abram. I'm Abram, which wasn't a bad name, but he chose to take on God's confession that he had spoken over him. And we all have to go through that situation where you have the option, you can keep calling your life, and you can keep calling your situation the same old way it's always been and the way you see it, but we can also take Abraham's approach and align our words with what he said. And it says of Abraham, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body 
That's important point of the story. He did not consider, which means he didn't fix his thoughts and he didn't fix his eyes on what he could not do. It says his own body it was already dead since he was about a hundred years old, nor did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb, and he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. He was able to perform. And so belief is first established in the heart and then it is reinforced and confirmed with the words that you speak. And we see this through salvation. You believe something in your heart and you confessed with your mouth that Jesus was Lord. And if we look at Colossians 2.6, it says, as you have begun, so continue in. So we must be careful who and what we agree with. Whose report will you believe? I think it's important that we take a look at the prophet Jeremiah. And you know, you would say, well, what do I have to do with a prophet? Well, you know, you are the prophet of your own life. No one's words are more important in your life than yours. You know, people may say things about you, but their words don't matter. Which words do you align yourself to? So you are the prophet of your own life. And I think the calling of Jeremiah is an interesting story. And in chapter 1 and verse 4 it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you or I set you apart. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then said I, Ah, Lord, behold, I can't speak. For I am a youth. You can take this verse and insert whatever your insecurity is, whatever you feel your shortcoming is, and I want you to know that whatever you think it is, it's invalid. You know, when we look at Moses, when God tried to send him to deliver the nation of Israel, what did he say? He said, I can't speak, I've got a stutter. And God, like, you know, he kind of appeased me. He said, well, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. He, he's pretty good at speaking. You notice after that, Aaron does no talking. Moses does all the talking. Because Jesus, was, or God was just trying to look at it. He's like, you know, we got to get Moses to get beyond himself. So I'll give him a little confidence. I'll send Aaron. But whatever you think your insecurity is or what invalidates you, I want you to know you are wrong. God believes better things of you. And so Jeremiah's excuse was, I can't speak. I'm just a kid. And the Lord said to him, don't say I'm just a youth. For you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. And this is the same template that we should follow in our own lives. Whatever God has said about you, that you should speak. Wherever God sends you, that's where you shall be. And he said, don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And as a preacher, I know that sometimes when you're preaching, if you look at people's faces, you can be like, oh my goodness, we should stop right now. 
but sometimes it takes people for the way to process things. And so he reminds Jeremiah, don't look at their faces, look at me. Look at what I have said and what my command is for you. And it says, then the Lord put forth his hand and he touched his mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I've put my words in your mouth. God's words. God's words were what, to be on, what was supposed to be on Jeremiah's mouth. But do you know that he spends most of the book complaining? And those weren't God's words. <laughs> there was times where he got it right, and there's times where he got it wrong. And in your life, there'll be times where you get it right, and there's times where you get it wrong. But whatever situation you're in, keep on going. Make the corrections that need to be made. And he said, see, I have, this day I have set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And this is your job in your life. There's things that you need to root out and pull down. There's things that you need to destroy and throw down. And then there's things to build and there's things to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, I, I see a branch of an almond tree. Now this is interesting. This is God teaching Jeremiah how to prophesy. And what he did, he said, look to me, and what do you see that I'm showing you? Speak that. And so Jeremiah, God just shows him an almond tree. And he says, what do you see, Jeremiah? And he's like, it's an almond tree. And sometimes it's that simple. God just shows you the simple things. Speak the simple things God has said about you. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. I like how the Amplified says it a little better. You have seen well, for I am alert, I am active, and I'm watching over my word to perform it. God is watching over those who will speak in faith what he has said about them. You know, I like what Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, God will move over a million people just to get to one person standing in faith. So back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Consider him. Consider his thoughts, what he has to say about it. You know, if we were to jump over to Hebrews chapter 10, we find what God was saying in chapter 10, verse 23. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. That no matter how it looks, the one who promised it doesn't change and is always faithful. And one of my favorite verses in all the Bible says, just because others were unfaithful, does that make the faithfulness of God of no effect? Certainly not. So let us hold fast to our confession, the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We jump down to verse 35 of that same chapter. It says, therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Just because you don't see it right away doesn't mean don't let go and let it go off. 
says, therefore, don't cast away your confidence. Hold on to it. Hold tight, for there's great reward. And it says, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And that's where we often get tripped up. We have our moments where we step into faith, and we start to align our words with what God has said about us, and we get a week down the road, and we're like, God, why hasn't it happened yet? And his word to us is, hold fast. Don't get rid of your confidence. You need endurance, which means keep on going when you want to quit. You know, I'll never forget my sister, Shauna, when she, who lives in California, when she ran her first marathon ever. And like, I can, I'm, in my mind, I'm like, why would you want to run a marathon? But she loves to do that. She loves those, those things that are grueling, those things that are hard, those things that, are hurt, that hurt. And so she's running her first marathon. And so we all spread ourselves out along the route so that when she was... Get, would get there, we could encourage her on to keep going, and I think I was at about mile 20, so she had six more, 6.2 more miles to go to finish the marathon, and when she got there, she's just like, I don't want to stop, I don't want to go any further, and we just said, you've already ran 20 miles, why would you stop now? And I think that's the word to many Christians this day, you've already come this far, why stop now? Keep believing. He says, you have need of endurance, that after after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise, meaning you don't stop until it's done. You don't let go of your confession until you see the manifestation of it. Whatever God has said, He is faithful to bring to pass. Whatever the word that has been spoken over you, whatever the word that has been spoken over me, keep going until you see it. If you let go, you let go too soon. Because if it's not done, God's not done. Hallelujah. So if we think about one of the most famous verses in the Bible is Proverbs 3 and 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. But do you know where those verses start? Back in verse 1, it says, my son, don't forget my law. Well, a better way to say that is don't forget my words. Don't forget what I've spoken over you. Don't let it fall to the side. My son, don't forget those words, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you what will his words in your heart bring peace and long life so many people are looking for the elixir that will kick them over to the neck add another 10 years onto their life you know i don't know what it is it's the word of god it's the words of life. You want to have long life? He says, with long life will I satisfy them and show them my salvation. Verse 3 says, let mer not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. What do you write on your heart? Mercy and truth. Even if you have to tie it around your neck. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Then he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll direct your path. Do you want to know what one of the definitions of acknowledge is? To consider. Hallelujah. 
So, Father, we thank you that this day we have the opportunity to consider you once again, to consider your words and to write them on our hearts, to write your words of life, your words of hope, your words of peace, your word that, words that add length to our days. We thank you that we've had another opportunity to remind ourselves of your goodness and your faithfulness. We know that you never fail and you never will. And so we thank you for it. Now, maybe you're watching this morning via the internet and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. That's the first step. That's how we start on this journey of transforming our heart is by just opening up and receiving him. So church, let's pray with them. Let's say, Father, we thank you for Jesus. That right now I receive him. I believe you raised him from the dead. And I call him Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer with us this morning, we would love for you to get in contact with us. We'd love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area and get some resources into your hand. And this is just the first step in a journey of transforming your heart. Amen? Guys, the words of your mouth are so important. And you, you, you know, the one thing that the devil wants you to do, he wants you to do many things, but the first thing is he wants you to shut up. But always remember what David did with his giant when it was in his way. He ran it, running his mouth. Who are you who defies the armies of the living God? You uncircumcised Philistine, I'm going to chop your head off and feed you to the birds. That's how we should talk to the enemy. That's how we should talk to obstacles. Run your mouth with the word of God. Amen? Well, it's offering time. You know, if you would like to partner with us to get this today, you can do that at wordchurch.ca forward slash give, or you can just put it in the basket at the back there. But I wrote this confession several years ago now because I wanted to remind myself first that when I give, that's just not the end of it. I'm not just plunking something in a basket, that there's faith at work and there's things that are happening. And so why don't you say this confession with me this morning? This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. Grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. And lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient, and I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, you guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you all soon.